Well, we know today is Valentine's Day, and yeah, you men, if you forgot, you probably know by now, but what is love? I'm not going to talk, I'm going to talk about an aspect of love and not necessarily explain what love is, because how would I explain, or how would you explain to me what love is? Is it a warm, fuzzy feeling? Is it, yeah, what is it? And there's different levels of love that you could talk about. How many of you children gave a valentine to someone? Okay. Did any of you get a valentine's back? Why do you give valentines? Is it because you want to be friends? And that's good. You want to be friend with someone. But another level of love is, are you willing to give your life for another person? And you can say, well, Christ did that, and that's because of his love. But I think even as a married couple, you should be at that point in giving your life for another person. And I know there are some that are in between that want to have friends, and Proverbs says to have a friend, you have to be a friend. And I know someone would love to have someone that they could give their life for. But I would like to challenge us this morning of, of that, of giving our life for someone else. And I want to, yeah, you'll see as I progress through this, the, the quality or the part of love I'd like to share is commitment. And I want to go to Genesis, and I'll read some verses out of Genesis. But the commitment is the quality of being dedicated to a cause. It is shown as devotedness, loyalty, steadfast, and so on. And in this story of Noah, God says in verse Uh, Chapter 6, verse 18, he says, And with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wives, and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive. And with thee they shall be male and female, and so on. But God made a covenant. And what was his desire to Noah? I think the heart of God was he wanted to establish his love to the people. And you know we the story of how all the people in the world were were following after their own flesh desires and and Noah was the only one that God found faithful in him. So he wanted to establish his his covenant, he wanted to make a covenant with, with uh, Noah. Well, then we go to chapter 9, verse 8 to 13. 
And this is uh, the covenant that God has made to the people of the world now. After everyone had died and only those that were in the ark were alive. And he now was going to establish his covenant through Noah. But he also made another covenant. And he says, uh, verse 8, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And of every living creature that is with you, of the fowls of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a token of the covenant which I made make between me and you and of every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. So God had set, uh, made a covenant with the earth that he would never, and it wasn't just with the people, but it was with the um, animals too, and, and the earth. He made a covenant he would not destroy with a flood. And God has kept that promise all the way up till now, and I, I expect he will continue to keep that promise of that covenant he had made with us. There's one thing with God is when God says or promises something, he never, never not, does not fulfill it, never does not keep it, his promise. It appears maybe in our eyes sometimes he has, but, and I'll talk about that here in just a little bit. I want to go to Genesis 15, verse 9 18. God made another covenant with his people, and this was through the, through the life of Abraham. God had took a toll at Abraham to look into the heavens and see, tell the stars and count them. And if you ever seen pictures of telescopes of the stars, it's just phenomenal the vastness of the universe and the stars. And God said, all this is how your seed is going to be. Then in verse 8, uh, verse 9, he says, And he said unto him, Take me a heifer and a three-year-old and a she-goat of three-year-old and a ram of three-year-old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took them all these and divided them in the midst and laid them each one against another but the birds divided he not and when the fowls came down upon the carcass Abram drove them away and when the sun was going down a deep sleep fell on Abram and lo a horror of great darkness fell upon him and he said unto Abram know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they came 
shall they come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between these, uh, those pieces. In that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, or in saying, Unto thy seed, thy seed which is more than the stars of the, of the sky, I have given thee this land. From the rivers of Egypt and to the great rivers of the Euphrates and the Kenites and the Kizites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Rephims, Amorites and the Canaanites and Gergesites and the Jebusites. So God's made a covenant with Abraham saying all this land is yours and his seed was going to be multiplied more than you can count. Has God kept that promise? We know he has. We know we do question whether um, he has fulfilled all of it because they've always, through the years, been driven from their land and they came back. And, but that land, is, in God's eyes, has always been theirs. And even today, they... There's question about what's their land and what's not their land, but all their land is going to be theirs. Their access to their land often depended on their commitment to God. So, you know, like we said, if, you are, if they were committed to God, God blessed them and, and they prospered. But when they lacked in their commitment to God, they, they, God took them away and God, yeah, worked in their life had to humble them, you might say. God has always been committed to the Jews. And I want to go to, to Romans chapter 11. And like I said, you know, has God always been with the Jews? You know, it seems like through the Holocaust, the Jews, if you look at the history of the Jews, they, you know, it, it's you would wonder if God was really had a love for his people, but he did. God loved his people so much, you know, that he made this covenant with them that he would give them this land and he would bless them. But the reason they were turned over was because of their love back and their, their lack of love, the lack of commitment. Uh, Romans 11, verse 25 to 27. For I would not, brethren, that ye be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. And I wanted to say, he was talking about, you know, the, uh, the vine. You know, we were grafted in, they were cut off, and now the natural can be grafted back in, and we will be cut off. And it says here, For I would not, brethren, that ye which sh should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until... So right now, it's, you'd say, well, you know, God isn't blessing Israel, but he is. But he has caused a blindness over, over them. But they, there will be a time when God is finished, or the fulfillment, fullness of the Gentiles become in. And to all Israel shall be 
saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So there will be a time, which we probably won't be here to see, but all the Jews are going to be saved, and he's going to forgive them their sins, and they're, they'll spend eternity with, with us. But there will be a time when the Gentiles is fulfilled, it says. And I was thinking of, well, when does this happen? You know, does God say, okay, up to this point, boom, you're done? Or does it come to that point because the Gentiles have lacked commitment to God? Their commitment toward God isn't there anymore. And because of that, God says, okay, now I'm going to work with the Jews and your, your time is, is over and the Christians will be raptured out and those that are left behind will have to suffer greatly. So the question is, how is your commitment to God? If, if God was to look at your commitment and say, okay, I'm going to look in the future here, what would he say? Would he say, well, it's time to end the, the Gentile era? I want to go to Colossians chapter 2. You know, in thinking of commitment, of being part of love, and love is a, is a form of that I love you enough that I'm going to be committed with you for, for all eternity. In Colossians 2, this is um, talking a little bit about those who have become saved, have accepted Christ as their Savior. Okay, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 8. As ye have therefore received Christ, so walk ye in him. So in other words, as you have received Christ, now walk in him. Follow his footsteps. Do his commandments. Learn of me. Walk with me. Be with me through the good times. Be with me through the bad times. Walk ye in him. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So I'm rooted in Christ and I'm established in my faith. I know that he is God of my life and I know that what he says he will, that what he has promised he will fulfill and I know he'll be with me through the, through the fire. So I am committed to that and no one is going to distract me from that. It talked about, uh, talks on about verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have taught, been taught, abounding wherewith with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain de deceit through the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So 
being grounded in this faith, in this walk, we're going to be like, like Job. You know, there will be people come around and say, you know, you don't have to. You can be a Christian. You don't have to do these things. And you don't have to. This doesn't matter to Christ. And, you know, the list goes on and on. But Job 13, 15 says, though he slay me, I will trust him. So in other words, I'm going to maintain my walk with him no matter what. You know, as we look at this Antichrist culture around us, I think we're going to have to stand more established in our life than we've ever have. We're going to have to be devoted and committed all the way to the, to the grave. You know, whether we are shot at, whether we are put in prison to die, we're going to stand for the truth, and we're going to be established in the faith and walk with him. Our commitment to Christ should be a personal commitment. A commitment that I personally am going to stand. It doesn't matter if those around me don't. And it doesn't matter if what other people are saying. It doesn't matter what my friends are doing and what my friends are getting involved in. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stand for the truth, for Christ. I want to go to James chapter 1. Being totally committed is shown by the way we live. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And if you want to uh, look up some verses that talk about laying aside or laying apart, there's a list. You know, you can go to, uh, just go to Colossians, you'll see a list. And there's others. There's a list of things that God does not want you to be part of. So study that out and you'll know more about being uh, your commitment. But he says, don't just be hearers, but be doers. Okay, I'll pick up again in verse 22. And be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if you be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man, behold the natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what matter of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. And if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man religion is in vain. Pure religion, undefiled before God. And the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted with the world. Observation, which is your, okay, we see, we read, 
we see what God is saying here, plus interpretation. So we look at the, what is God saying in this. But if we minus application, we just ab- ab- aborted scripture. So if we observe the scripture and we, we read it, we explain it to you, or you read it in your devotions, and it jumps out. And then you interpret it, so you know, you know the interpretation, you know what it means. But if you don't live it, if you don't apply it to your own life, it's, it's really of no value to you. And that's the scary part, is because, you know, you can go into the world and talk with any, a lot of people, and they know the scripture, and they know what, they, what Christians should do. But they aborted all scripture because they are not living what the scripture teaches. How committed would you say they are? You'd say not very. But what about us? You know, I'm thinking of Christ's commitment to us. He died for us while we were still sinners. And made a way for us to be forgiven. Jesus said that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said that he will give us our daily bread. Jesus said that he is going to prepare a place for us. Do we really believe that he will? And I think that's part of the the commitment that he has to us. And in thinking of of Christ and the church, we know that the church is the bride of Christ. And we know that Jesus is the groom. And we see his commitment to his bride. And we look at the bride's commitment to him. And we say, what's Where's the love? Will this marriage last? If I was to perform a wedding and the groom was all excited about his bride, but his bride wasn't sure if he, she really wants to get married, she doesn't really sure if she loves him, do you think their marriage will make it? Well, I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. This kind of refers to the Christ and um, the, the church and the, the bride of Christ and also relates to us as Christians um, are relate, relating to our wives and our, or our husbands. <clears throat> and I think God has given us marriage to illustrate the marriage of the relationship of Christ and the church. You know, so, um, you know, Paul says it's better to be single, and you say, well, then you can't see the relationship of Christ and the church. But so often, we as singlehood, or we as singlehood, those that are single, and when I was, before I was married, 
we didn't see single as a blessing because we, our focus was on self and our focus was on the things around us and whatever people were doing and I want to feel loved. And, but we never felt like we were married to or going to be married to Christ, that being part of the church. And Paul addresses that, you know, you have so much opportunity to worship God than what a married person does because we got to care for the things of, of the world. But you don't have to. And sometimes we, we miss that. But there is such a blessing to being single, and there is such a blessing to be married also. But I'll warn you, if you're married outside of Christ, you won't be happy. And it's going to be a curse to you. And it won't be, yeah, <clears throat> it won't be uh, whatever you think about when you get married. Stars and all these things. Okay, um, verse 21 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now relate to this as, as I'm reading of Christ in the church. And don't think of it as, as you yourself just yet. Wives, submit to yourselves. Submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify, cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, so no man, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth, cherisheth it even as, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of the body of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Is Christ committed to his bride? I would say far more than the church is to him. And thinking of, of the whole aspect of wives submitting and the husbands loving, and we, you know, we say, well, if we, the wives submit, it'd be easier to love, and if we love, the wives would be easier to submit, and so on. But Christ extended all love that we, more than we can ever give, so us needs to submit to him, be committed to his, to his ways, his, his love. I want to look at verse 31. I know this is used in weddings. 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. Think about that word leave. As Christians, we, we have to leave to get. You know, Christ left his father and he is going to, we're going to be his bride. Now, he didn't forsake his father, but he left his father, came down, and he purchased us as his bride. He's going back to prepare a place for us, and he's going to receive us unto himself. Join is to cleave or to glue. Thinking of Christ in the church, the, the gluing part, and thinking of your relationship with your wife, the gluing part. Have you glued together as a couple? Are you bonded to each other? Are you bonded to Christ also? And then in marriage, we become one flesh. And that one flesh is to look at each other as an extension of ourselves. And, and we do. You know, you look at those who've been married for 50, 60 years. They've always been part of, of them. It's, a, it's an extension of them. They're one flesh. And that's the way it is for us. In Christ, we are an extension of him. So we walk with him. We, we love him. We submit to him. We, yeah, where, where he is, there will we be. Where we are, there's where he, he would be. It's a extension of ourselves. So in our relationship to Christ, we become one with him, and he is the head. So how is your marriage? You know, many ma marriages start out at the altar. I guess they all... Most of them do. I guess some of them go to the courthouse. But the majority of the weddings start at the altar. But 40% of them get divorced. And you have to question what's happening or what happened. How can we change that? I know, I think a lot of it is the process of of cleaving and becoming one is, is a struggle. You know, I have to die. She has to die to become one flesh. When, when one of them doesn't die, there's a, there's a constant friction, holding back, not allowing the glue to, to mesh you together. It's a complete giving of oneself and like Christ did, dying for your partner. Have we, have we really done that? And if you haven't, I would say you probably are struggling in a lot of ways in your marriage. Complete giving of oneself to another and complete acceptance of your partner. You know, there's a, a big push for wedding rings in our circles. And I've been thinking about that when I was thinking about this, in what causes the, the divorce rate, the cleaving, and, and I was thinking that, you know, what keeps a marriage together isn't the ring. 
what keeps the, the marriage together is the, is the gluing of each other together is the dying of oneself. That's what will determine how we relate to others. You know, you look at the history of wedding bands and you see that that hasn't done well because look at all the divorce rates even though they had it. But I want to tell you what does cause division in marriage, cause separation, and you can do it with a ring or without a ring. And that is our commitment to our partner. How do we flirt at work? How do we flirt with, with, with other opposite gender? Do we have inappropriate teasing and joking, improper touching? Men, have you made a covenant with your eyes, promising never to look upon an immodest lady? I know sometimes you, it's hard because, you, boom, it's there. You know, you saw it. But to me, if you do continue to, to linger in looking, um, that's where you err. And then women, have you committed your bodies and saving your bodies for your husband? In other words, covering it in a way that doesn't show to the world what your figure looks like or things like that. I remember... Uh, we used to babysit with years ago for a couple, and um, we stopped by one time. And anyways, they were both outside, and and the lady was in modestly dressed, and and so I was talking to the guy, and and I kept my eyes on him. And afterwards, he commented about that that I was watching him and not her. And so then I had the opportunity to explain why. So how is your commitment to Christ? Is it any different than your commitment to your spouse? Or should it be different? You say, well, I love God, you know, because, but I just can't quite love him the way I should or her. There's a story I'd like to close with that I come across that's, I think, portrays kind of what I wanted to share. It's tough to live in a focused life, to live a focused life. From every direction, something or someone clamors for our attention. A distraction draws our eyes, and the next thing we know, we're swerved off the road and headed down another detour. One Chicago youth pastor came up with a clever way to keep his group on track. Concerned that the balmy beaches of Florida and the site of their, up, the site of their upcoming evangelism trip would lure the teens from their purpose, he fashioned a cross from two, pe- <clears throat> from two pieces of lumber. Just before they climbed on the bus, he showed it to the group. I want... I want all of you to remember that the whole purpose of our going is to glorify the name of Christ and to live up the cross. The message of the cross, the emphasis of the cross, Christ of the cross, he announced, 
So we're going to take this cross wherever we go. The teenagers looked at one another, a little unsure of his plan, but they agreed to do it and dragged the cross on the bus. It banged back and forth on their, in the aisle on the way to Florida. It went with them into restaurants. It stayed overnight where they stayed overnight. It stood in the sand while they ministered on the beach. At first, lugging the cross around embarrassed the kids, but later it became a point of identification. That cross was a constant, silent reminder of who they were and why they had come. They eventually regarded carrying it as an honor and privilege. The night before they went home, the youth pastor handed out two nails to each of the kids. He told them that if they wanted to commit themselves to the cross and what the cross stood for, they would hammer one nail into it and keep the other one with them. And I would ask, are you willing to do that? To take the nail of what Christ took for us and take the cross and identify with him.